Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Hey guys, I just wanted to let you know that this podcast is presented by mybookie.ag and that if you use the promo code MATTEK, M-A-T-T-E-K, that you will get a 50% deposit bonus on your first deposit. And given that you are a listener to this podcast, I would assume you're relatively knowledgeable about sports and I would trust you to try your edge on the online sports book. You can lay down some money and get in on the action at one of the safest online sports books in the world. It's the only one that I am currently using. You can wager on all sorts of different outcomes on mybookie.ag, soccer, football, any major league, esports. You can even create your own player props, which is useful for me because if you know anything about me, I do enjoy uh, a good player prop. So if you deposit using the promo code MATTEK, M-A-T-T-E-K, you get a you get a 50% de- bonus when you deposit and i will add this for listeners of the takecast if you deposit using the promo code matic and you send proof of it to me on twitter i will follow you on twitter and you can have access to me via dms whenever you want that's the that's the takecast bonus that i'm adding in association with the mybookie.ag deposit bonus now let's get back to the show Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Take Cast. I am here with an absolute legend. I am here with the first ever guest on the Sports Wonderkin podcast, Rich Rebar, Lord Reeves, or if you were on Twitter for two weeks in 2015, Roto Reeves, my guy. How are you doing? That <laughs> might have been more like like two and a half days. The Roto I Reeves. I don't, it, may, it, it may have been two and a half hours. There was a lot of back on the Roto Reeves. <laughs> There wasn't. Amazingly, no one scooped that Lord Reeves handle in that in that downtime. Maybe just no one was worthy. I don't know. But man, yeah, we were talking before the show, and the first podcast I ever went on ever was uh, the Sports Wonder Kid podcast. You know, kind of popped my cherry there with you and Coleman. And uh, I think I want to say for sure we did like a mock like rookie draft of the 2013 like rookie class. I mean, if you go <laughs> on YouTube right now. All of our old shows are on YouTube because that's how we used to record. So, like, if you go to my old, like, skateboarding YouTube channel, all of those Sports Wonderkin casts are on there because we recorded on Google Hangouts because when Coleman and I started making podcasts, this was before, like, you could get Skype call recorders. This was before Zoom existed. This was (laughs) five years before Zencaster. And it's really just a gigantic branding error for me because I had a podcast, a fantasy football podcast that existed at this point, like I think seven years ago that had like some listeners, had a website, had like iTunes reviews, and I just bailed on it, just deleted it. I just- it had scouting profiles. Like there was Davis Maddox scouting profiles on Marcus Wilson, a legit Marcus Wilson scouting profile There was uh, that was written up in the Wonderkin. There was a lot, dude. Like Coleman and I, I remember the whatever NFL draft where Tavon went, however many, so that was five years ago. Mm-hmm. 
So that NFL draft, Coleman and I live blogged it on the website where we were like posting instant reactions like we were on Rotoviz or something. Like we were just like writing up immediate reactions to these fantasy relevant picks. Like, and this was for no money. Like I didn't have advertising on that site. No one was paying me. I don't think I made any money. I don't think I got any referrals. Maybe some FanDuel referrals I got. Um from that site, but like there was no money involved in grinding sports wonderkind. Oh, it was so awesome though. We we had a blast at that shit. And uh I mean I'm not allowed to swear in this podcast. Are we oh, yeah. free reign oh, yeah. no, I won't get too loose, but I'd make I, sure I, before I, I saw, I saw a, a great tweet the other day where it was like the most the most common uttered words by white guys in American hour. Oh, I can swear on this podcast. <laughs> yeah, I have to ask I'm I'm usually pretty good. You know, I have I have kids, so I'm good at uh you know, holding myself down and knowing the proper forms. But whenever, you know, I think about our days of podcasting, every time I've talked to you, we've just always talked so naturally, just as regular dudes. I, we're talking for the show, like you're probably maybe one of a dozen dudes that I've got actually have your phone number, you know, in my phone. Yeah, we're, we're and, uh, real life pals. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I mean, I remember doing the Wonder Kid podcast and that was, that was where I first got on and started doing podcasts. And, you know, now... Uh, I'm a little more seasoned. That's where I kind of found my footing and my voice and just found it was natural, you know, not to be, you know, as rehearsed and just to have conversations about football and players and stuff like that and, you know, be, be prepared and, you know, to just have a good time with it. And it was a blast with you guys. I mean, pour one out for Coleman. I miss Coleman. Who knows where he's up to in these streets. Coleman underscore FF, man. He was, man. You guys were influential in, in getting me started there, and it played a big role in that, and then obviously getting me into Rotoviz, where those early days of Rotoviz, and you know, uh, Matt Matt Friedman just wrote an article about like kind of his life journey to where he got so far. It was a really good article, and he was talk kind of harping on some of those early days of Rotoviz. And it kind of just you know, brought a flicker back in my soul of just how we used to have just these epic email chains where just all of us just made each other so much better at fantasy football and like evaluating stuff. We, of course, like the 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 Barman Bailey uh, Frank Dupont fantasy douche. I mean, you know, who's kind of I missed man, I miss douche so much. I missed him more a little more than Coleman. Sorry, Coleman, but no, I wish douche was back, man. Such a ledge, like that. I guy, mean, oh, he was he was so big. People now have no idea. They don't like if you just got into fantasy football two years ago. Rotoviz is like just another site to you, and like mm-hmm. every every fantasy football website does numbers based content now. Like you like. Your, your content will not exist if you don't even pretend to have like proprietary metrics and like things like that. But like every, like literally every single fantasy football article now probably has some, the concept of like volume being more important mm-hmm. than talent and stuff. And that's just like a total given. And I won't say Rotoviz invented that because I don't think they did, but they 100% popularized it in the space. Cause like when Rotoviz began, there was like nothing but blowback for it. Like people did not like it when it started. Oh no, not at all. I mean, there were the, everyone was wrong for the Holy Wars, uh, you know, film versus film versus metrics. And now it's kind of accepted that you, that both are applicable. And then that kind of turned into, you know, the whole wide receiver, don't like the war of like the large wide receiver versus the small wide receiver. That was like the Tavon year basically is what started that because they changed the team traded up for Tavon Austin. Uh, and, you know, drafted him. Uh, so, I mean, yeah, I mean, it was crazy. You know, I think about, like, those days and how, how long ago it feels just because of how much work I've done since then. But how influential, like I said, getting that – breaking that podcast, you know, cherry and getting all that under my belt and having to work under a guy like, uh, you know, Frank, who we obviously know at this point that his name is not Frank DuPont. I, I want to know how many people truly know him 
I mean, I feel like there's some, there's a handful. I'm not one of them. I'm not, like, I I'm think, not either. And I was I think, the first like six guys to, to write on. I think my, like, there was some Ravens running back that I like wrote an article about <laughs> that was like, I think the fifth article ever on Rotoviz. And like, I'm sure if you go back and read it now, all my Rotoviz articles are not very good. Other than who's like, the, who's the worst player you wrote an article on at Rotoviz? <laughs> Oh, I mean, this, like, who could ever say, like, there, there's some Aaron Mellett <laughs> takes out there. Uh, a lot of, a oh, lot of, a lot of, you know what, what, why don't, I'm going to go look at my Rotoviz author page right now. Um, but we, we wrote about, we wrote about some dives, man. We were digging deep on dudes. I wrote an article, I think on Gerald Robinson, uh, this dude that was a converted wide receiver. That was a tight end for the Broncos. I like good mentioning with the Arizona state. Uh, I remember I wrote about Chris Matthews when he came from the, uh, um, the, what league was he in before this? He was in the CFL, was he? He was in the CFL. And then he came know, over but- to the Seahawks. And then in this, because I remember someone deliberately tweeting Rotoviz during the Super Bowl when he went off against the Patriots, and like, I know you guys got a Chris Matthews article, and I was like, Yeah, I got you. And like, <laughs> one. we wrote about man, so many garbage dudes. So <laughs> I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna read off some of like. So the last article I wrote for Rotoviz was in 2014, so literally four years ago, and I'm just gonna read off some article titles for you. On Marquise Colston, Brandon Cooks, and Nick Toon's quiet storm upside. <laughs> John Grimes, Texans backup and Ooh, a yeah. score superstar. Ladarius Green wants you to win fantasy football championships. Oh, here's a good one. Is Travis Kelsey your tight end lottery ticket? He is. We got, a winner there. We got a Johnny Manziel screaming bargain article. Uh, our old boy for the Colts, Derek Rogers. Oh yeah, man, these are some bad players. <laughs> these, are some, these are some bad players that are in here. Man, I used to write a lot about fantasy football. No, you were. I mean, you were way in the uh, way ahead of before I was. I'll be honest with you. It just, it just for me, I reached my ceiling in the space of just writing about like deep dynasty sort of things. Like my skill set was never really suited to that. Uh, Really the big thing is, is that I just idolized the shit out of, uh, out of Sean. And I just wanted to be like Sean. And so that was why I just got so into fantasy football writing at that time. He's easy one to hook you into with the ideas he had around that time. And obviously, like I said, being in those email threads where all of us were able to share. I mean, you look at the alumni now that came from that group. And I was in a, the, the initial fledgling, like the starting, like, nucleus. But, I mean, when you think of all the guys, like, you know, Sean was there. You were there. Uh, Friedman was there. Bales. Bales. Uh, uh, John Moore. Uh, Sal wrote a little bit there. You know, I was there. I mean, that's people, a lot of people, people don't going know. on. People don't know that, like, John Bales is, like, a, like a millionaire, like, with Fantasy Labs now. That dude used yeah. to just, like, be, like, a self-employed Dallas Cowboys beat writer who contributed, like – I used to do aggregated projections via email with Jonathan Bales when I was in college. That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Bales is a super cool dude, too. He is. Also, just letting everyone know, uh, my best ball championship draft just started on <laughs> draft right now. I signed up for it way before the show started, but it just didn't fill. So that's going to be something that we're dealing with right now. But I want to get into before the Roto-Biz even. 
why football for you? Why, why football compared to, and compared to other stuff? Well, I think it, I mean, as it pertains just from a fantasy sense, like a lot of numbers based football fantasy guys. Now uh, I was someone who was just far more of like a fantasy baseball gamer and play a lot of fantasy baseball. You know, fantasy baseball is one of those games that just invokes so much of what we try to preach in these streets, what we're trying to do through Rotoviz and what we do now through a lot of the content, which is, you know, about the process, you know, playing probabilities, having patience to see those decisions through, you know, when it comes down to, to winning leagues and having, longevity and success and winning, you know, fantasy period, you know, whether that be, you know, DFS or anything like that. I mean, we all know that like your blind grandma can win a fantasy football league in a vacuum, but nine people can win fantasy baseball leagues on accident or can, or can sustain like, you know, the, any marginal. No, uh, no you've ever, success. If you've ever played yeah. serious fantasy baseball. It's it. That's a whole different game. Yeah, but that's also what kind of made it like over time less appealing to me and like made it really mundane. I mean, it made it made it made like games and actual stretches of real baseball just not matter at all. Like really. I mean, yeah. wherever where everything in football, like every little thing in football like greatly impacts the outcome of that that week, that season. All that just matters so much. So attempting to solve like just that one side of the Rubik's cube like offers just a more of a challenge and much rewarding experience and like also a lot more tilts as anyone can, you know, attest to. I mean, there may not be a Holy grail like ever for fantasy football analysis. And because the, the skeleton key we all chase is probably a complete MacGuffin. Uh, but the never ending pursuit that just means like they're one, there's, there's a plethora of stones that we still have to overturn this game, which I think you've seen over the, like the past five years of analysis. We talked about where like Rotoviz started off and things we were covering and where things are now and things that are just accepted for norm, even amongst the people that fought against stuff like that. And two is as long as that happens, I mean, I get to stay employed. You know, you know, the big edge in fantasy football is that one, it's impossible to be great at it, I think. And two, it's a moving target like every three years. Yeah. Enough, enough rules change, enough talent distribution changes, enough things happen in the course of the NFL that like you can come back to it three years later and it's like unrecognizable to you. That's like, that's, I think why people love fantasy football so much. Yeah, absolutely. And you were kind of, we went through that big period where the wide receivers like boomed. We probably hit an apex. Now we have the question, what happened last year? Yeah, wide receivers were. Did we reach an offensive? Yeah, we have the question, did we reach like an offensive apex? I mean, when you look at like all the production last year, like what happened in totality of the NFL last year? I mean, we had 108 fewer receiving and rushing touchdowns last year than the year before. Was that just because we flatlined? Like we finally reached as far as it could go and like there was due recoil? Was it because like you said, the rules changes? Is it because the distribution of NFL talent now is starting to shift more towards where the running backs are more talented, the, the, the premier running backs are more talented than the premier receivers. Was it all the quarterback injuries? I mean, there, we can go on and on and try to pick out of our, our favorite things, but I mean, we saw I, scoring. I have a, I have a like, theory. Let's drop it on us. Um, well, and I kind of, I've talked about this on a couple of shows, but there is like a more optimal way to play football in terms of the math of it, which is that like passes are just worth more than rushing yards. Mm-hmm. Sure. Like that's, that's just straight up true. But a lot of these short passing kind of West Coast style offenses, uh, they're, they're, these teams are just not very good at it. Like they, they're just not they're They don't have the personnel to succeed and the coaches don't know, you know, the proper route combinations. Like they're, they're just not drawing things up correctly. Like, asking, Mike Shula. yeah, like, and, <laughs> and so I just think overall that's going to generate less points. And, and also another thing that I would add to that is if all of your opponents are playing the same way, 
it's a lot easier to you're not having to change your game plan a ton week to week yeah absolutely i mean yeah that's what makes it great though i mean think before like just the like the in, in the life stance like i kind of just accidentally fell into this i was just like a gamer like a lot of people and I was working, you know, I didn't, I just, I just started full-time doing this as a job as my lone source of income a year ago, basically almost a little, it was Memorial Day last year is when I accepted the job with NBC. And, you know, I was with a uh, hydraulic seal company where I was a production manager for 13 years. And, you know, uh, you know, I, I kind of left it. It was, it was a tough decision, man, to say, you know, at age 35, like I'm just going to do fantasy sports. You know, it's different. I always joke sure. with you when I used to do this podcast with you guys when you're younger. And I was like, man, I wish I was so much younger when we found this. Because we're thinking this is this is five years ago. I was entrenched in like a job and life at this point when I'm doing this podcast with you right. guys. Like, you know, I was jealous of you guys, man. I was like, man, I wish this was around, you know, like, a, you know, I would have I fallen right Coleman, into this. Coleman bailed. He's like a librarian now. Like, <laughs> yeah, he, he said, screw it, man. He, well, he saw me and he He's like, I can't let this happen. I gotta, <laughs> I gotta get, gotta find something else. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it was tough to, to say, you know, at that point, you know, at, at uh, to just say like, I, oh, listen, listen, babe, uh, yeah, we got these, we got this new house, we got these three kids. I'm just gonna do fantasy sports. I don't know how long it'll last. I'm just gonna do it. Sure. And you know, like, yeah, it's kind of it was a tough decision, but yeah, it's one of those things that those old tropes in life of you know, it really matters, like doing something you like. You know, finding something that you surround with people that, that push you to do better at your job. You know, I could have, I don't know how long this will last. I may be fired by NBC in a year or two, given that that's how the nature of these things work. But I mean, I also could have been, you know, going to a job three years from now that like I really had no desire to go to, and you know, just you know, kind of pushing the button on life. So I mean, one of those things that, that just kind of worked out in, in a way where I just strike, struck with iron was hot, man. I, I was in at the right time. If I would have started now, and we, you know, we can get into some of the things that or if people are looking now, because that's kind of been like a theme for people, I guess, the past week on Twitter and stuff. You know, I saw Kitchen tweeting about it, and, you know, people all on and, like, guys trying to get into the field now of how to differentiate themselves. But, you know, I don't know what I would do right now. It was a lot different even five years ago. Like, it was it was a lot easier still to get in. I mean, I would say, I would say right now, if you're trying to get in, uh, just don't. <laughs> I mean, I, I mean, honestly, like how many, how many guys can possibly have a fantasy football podcast? Like, oh, everyone, man. And I'm notorious. Like I, I, I don't like, I've told people before, like, I don't listen to fantasy football podcasts. I, I barely I read. I listen to JJ's. That's it. Yeah. JJ's got a good one. I mean, I, I mean, JJ's my boy and I still don't even listen to every episode of that. <laughs> um, no, it's a great would, show though. I would definitely recommend people to listen to it. <laughs> I would rather listen to like this is actually this is actually a great topic, but like pretty much every time someone comes on, I ask them about the other podcast they listen to. Uh, like I don't, I listen to soccer podcasts and and uh, gambling podcasts and CFL podcasts. Like I would listen to all that stuff before. <laughs> I actually I actually low key love the CFL. That's not even a joke. I'm into it. But uh, this is no man's alley. I'm man's alley now. So not even starting though. <laughs> not even starting still though it's just a matter other, of time so what other podcasts do you listen to uh yeah so like i said like football consumes so much of my life that and i i have so many other things that i'm interested in that i just can't i don't have time for fans football podcasts because i spend so much time in the fans world already that i just don't really yeah. like gravitate to listening to a lot of that stuff and and a lot of them are takes that like i already have like you know it's like uh, uh most of the podcasts are very similar and even the ones that go on i i answer similar questions when i go on that's no offense to any shows i've been on that's just how the, that's how the nature i mean of how works. many how many different ways can you break down adp 
in July. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I mean, it's June, July. And also, like, this is also the worst time for fantasy football. I talk about it. The summer is the worst time for fantasy football because it's the part that really matters less. We take, But we have nothing else to talk about for three months except for the air quotes winning your draft. Like, you have to win your draft. It means, like, winning your draft doesn't mean shit, man. Like, you know, like, grading your draft and, like, going back, like, go back and look at all your teams that did well last year, the teams that did well in your league, and, like, think about what those teams were. The answer is my my teams didn't do that well last year because I had David Johnson and Ty Montgomery in the first three rounds in every league. Like, I took, I took, I took David Johnson first overall in three different leagues. But you were taking David Johnson to your credit the year before first overall too, and that worked out great. So I mean, I take him first overall this year too. He's the best. <laughs> there you go, man. He's David Johnson. <laughs> we don't even really do fantasy takes on this podcast, but he is the best offensive player in the NFL. I mean, Antonio Brown is also very good, but he just only does it in one way. David Johnson runs and catches passes, so therefore he's better to me. Yeah, he used to return kicks his rookie year, too. He, has to kill, he his, definitely has at least first, one coach. His first out. touch in the NFL was a touchdown against the yeah. Saints. He, he won yeah. a game. Yep, absolutely. <laughs> but, oh, yeah, yeah cycling, <laughs> cycling back, uh, you know, I listen, I listen to more, like, pop culture podcasts. I mean, I'm, I'm huge into movies. So I used to do a Blank Check podcast. Uh, that's for, like, a David Sims, who's, like, a movie reviewer and, like, an actor, uh, Griffin Newman. Like, they host that, and they just, like, do a podcast. I really like that podcast a lot. They just kind of like riff on, on different movies and like different directors that have had like blank checks given in their careers and like how their careers subsequently play out like after that and how their movies go. Um, but yeah, other than that, just like mostly all pop culture stuff, you know, uh, I used to listen to Nerdist. It turns out, it turns out Chris Hardwick was a scumbag. So we, we had to, we had to drop that. Never, <laughs> and we'll probably never, never hear it again. I don't like if a if a podcast is on the front page of iTunes, I probably yeah. never listen to it. I pro like I just the only one that I listen to that's like a po- a very popular podcast is How Stuff Works. Yeah, I've been I've been listening to this whole, basically Hard Work is basically replaced by Dak Shepard now. So like his podcast like has basically replaced that. Like kind of cycled in. He gets good guests and it's just natural just conversations. I don't like when the, you know obviously when the when the pop culture people come to promote stuff, I want to hear them just talk about stuff, you know, in the journey and, and things about their life. Stuff like that's way more interesting uh, to me than, you know, like I said, just the promotion of Rampage. What, whatever Dwayne Johnson movie's got coming out this week. I mean, Dwayne Johnson's in seemingly every movie, like, known to man. I'm, not, I'm pretty sure that he's basically in every, every build summer movie at this point. The guy's a ledge. <laughs> I mean, he's the way to do it, man. He turned himself into you – know, he's basically the modern Daryl Schwarzenegger. Like, that would have been would, the path. Uh, you would really like this show called 302010, which is exactly what it sounds like. It's just, like, pop culture jokes and reviews of, of shit from 30, 20, and 10 years ago. Yeah, I'm all it, for that. It actually would be, like, right up your alley. Not that, like, anyone in the world needs to listen to more podcasts. <laughs> like, there was something I had to realize when I started doing this show is I was, like, no one really wants to listen to another podcast. Like everyone has enough podcasts. I'm just, this is a vanity project for me, basically. I mean, I, I assumed all your projects are vanity projects to yeah. this point of knowing you. So, I mean, <laughs> yeah, like I have a, I have a real job now. I don't need, I don't need this podcast for money. Like any, any advertising or whatever that's done on this is done. So like I can like go out to eat more often basically, or like place more tennis bets. Like that's the only reason. <laughs> And, and no one can see you right now because you say you don't use the video for these, but you've got a real sharp tennis look going on right now too. Well, I just haven't – I have not cut my hair in 
at this point, like two years. Oh, beautiful. Yeah. There's just, there's just no point. (laughs) There's just no point. Well, you know, if you're a man, like probably not for you, but all of my friends go and get their haircut like once every three weeks and it's not cheap. Like they're paying $30 for some like forearm tattoo guy to cut their hair. Like I would say, I would say people pay even more than that. A lot of people now. Women pay way more. I know a woman's haircut is like like two hundred dollars. That's not even a joke. Like it's insane. I would wager that Denny Carter pays upwards of sixty seventy dollars for haircut. We need to. I, I'm gonna have to text him after this and ask him. Text him right now. He definitely owns the libs by paying eighty dollars for a haircut, and he tips too. <laughs> I'm I'm certain of it. Uh, definitely. I, I mean, I'll hit him up while we're doing this and see what he says. I hope. I really hope. I really hope that he gets back. Uh, so let's let's try and have let's try and have let's try and have an intelligent conversation. What is what is something that you believe about the game of football that other people don't believe, or conversely, something that everyone believes about the game of football that you think is bad and stupid? Um, well, I think it's a mix of both, and it's the NFL draft, man. I think uh, the NFL draft is basically a crock of shit just on a, on a lot of levels. Uh, you know, one how it's first, obviously, nobody is good at drafting. Uh, no, nobody admits no, 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 nobody no, good. <laughs> nobody admits and accounts to being bad at drafting, and nearly every claim of a team being good or like a personnel department being good at drafting is centered around like them walking backwards into a pile of gold and having any true concept or adequate process of that like doesn't really exist. And it's usually washed away very quickly. Kind of like Seahawks fans are finding out right now. Uh, but I mean, so I mean like the Seahawks, teams- <laughs> the Seahawks are, are the New York giants West at this point. Yeah. I mean, the Seahawks were a team like, listen, they got lucky and a lot of people like saluted the way they went about things by acquiring more draft picks. But the way to acquire it's the NFL draft isn't about just having extra bullets in the chamber. It's about having extra like bullets, like in the rounds that matter. And like the Seahawks are a team that just like acquired a bunch of like fifth through seventh round picks. Do like, you remember years. when, when your San Francisco 49ers had that draft where they drafted all the injured guys and everyone was like, this is genius. This yeah. Is dude, so oh smart. God. Dude, Trent Bauke, like that's another dude. Like I said, he's another one of these dudes that like the wool gets pulled over people's eyes for like the short term success, and you don't just realize how like terrible the process is for these guys. But, like the Seahawks are team, like all they did was acquire a bunch of fifth through seventh round picks for a longest time. They weren't even using draft capital, like their 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 premier draft capital. I think I think they only made like two first round picks over the past five years, and one was on an offensive guard, and the one was this year on a running back. Like, they're terrible. Like, they're pretty bad at this. Like, they, they just, like, ran into some luck. Like, hit a third-round quarterback, the gold mine. You know, you, you get one of those, so you got you got pretty much free reign. But then they hit, like, other guys, like Richard Sherman. Like, finding an elite cornerback, like, with, like, that kind of draft capital is, like, pretty rare as well. So, I mean, they hit that, like, lottery ticket. So, I mean, they just had a bunch of lottery tickets. But you've seen – so, they've acquired all these draft picks, but in the low-leverage rounds. And, like, these are guys that don't even make their team. Like, cause they're just, they're just dudes. They just like throw a bunch of dudes at the, at the wall. And like half of these guys, they don't make the team and they go be somewhere decent elsewhere, like an Alex Collins or, you know, even like a Spencer Ware or some of these other guys. Um, but yeah, I mean like just no one's good at this though. And I think my biggest problem with like the NFL draft is like, we would be fine with it if like, if it was just accepted that like everyone is bad at it, but the NFL the way the draft is covered by NFL teams, the way it's covered by NFL draft scouts. Big I mean, draft. my job, 
my job is not important. Like being like a fantasy football analyst is completely not important. But like, if there's something worse than it, it's like being like a draft analyst. Like, analyst what about prospects. what about the guy who, who who like has NFL in his Twitter handle and is like tweeting screen grabs of like like D three QB film? That guy has. You see that him? Guy, that guy has the the the. <laughs> I do see him. You want to know know a brutal thing, though, about about seeing him is Sammy Watkins is going to have the best year of his career this year. He's going to actually be good, but he's not going to be good. He's just going to have good fantasy stats, and it's going to it's going to really bum me out. Yeah, but like we, we, I think that we would be okay with all these things if the NFL didn't operate under like this large umbrella of hubris, like during like the draft period, and in turn, like all of their hubris then trickles down and is sold as like a this sack of magic beans to deranged tribalistic lemmings that believe that their team did not draft poorly or like operates like under all this hubris themselves, you know, like how often do you see like, like every, if you follow a team's fan base and you, or if you are a fan of an NFL team, like every time your team makes a pick, there's a dude like defending that pick, whether it be like a scout and then that's getting retweeted, um, you know, or you like everyone's talking about their fifth round inside linebacker and like how this was a great pick. And like, no one talks like how like one of the success rate of those players that that position of the draft or that position or like bringing player age and none of this stuff is even talked about like every team is discussed under the umbrella like all these draft picks were not made with air when like literally if you get one of these like seven picks right if you have seven like you're 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 already like (laughs) you're already like in like good position but you know all that stuff has just trickled down to the fans now as well so like the the whole way that the draft is just presented, consumed, endorsed is just such a lie on every level. And and it's such big – the draft is so big NFL. That's the most NFL thing we have. I mean, do you even know – like, do people even know there is, like, a baseball draft? Like, people even know there's a major league baseball draft? People like, know, but, like, <laughs> imagine how – that's, like, the dumbest thing that exists. Yeah. <laughs> but the NFL, like, has this, though. I will say, though um, – one thing that the NFL draft like is slowly coming around upon. I think it's because of it's an accident. They they fell into this because of their own like terrible rules that they in, had to institute. I don't know if they're they're necessarily terrible rules, but all it did was like siphon money from rookies and give them to like mediocre quarterbacks. That's like what the rookie wage scale did. Like yeah. it's like oh like instead of like rookie Sam Bradford making fifty million dollars, it's just Andy Dalton making fifty million dollars. So it's like, like you know six or one half. Like where this right. happened is it like trickled money down to like uh, you know other important players, but like. Uh, the, the way NFL age is like, it's slowly starting to come around, but it's still like the most important thing that I don't think like everybody is really being looked at under like through the right lens. I think the reason why teams are drafting younger is just because uh, college players now don't have the incentive they do to stay like and elevate their draft stock. Uh, so now like good players come out earlier because it's just rookie wage scale. I mean, if you're a good player ready to come to the league, you just do it. Um, you know, um, it's, it's kind of arbitrary and crude, but if you look at like over the past decade, so 28% of the draft picks over the past decade, 20 or 21 years old, have already made a, a Pro Bowl in their careers. For all other ages afterwards, it's just 19.3%. And I mean, in terms of the best players in the league, they're truly like difference makers for a franchise. Mm-hmm. Just, two, just two players drafted over the past decade of 24 years or older have ever been on an all-pro team. Just two. Yeah, that's uh, legit Sean, actionable information. Sean Lee and Kyle Long are the only two guys. Um, and I know that there are a lot more players being drafted in the other buckets of ages that kind of hurt like the, those player rates. But on per, per uh, 
pick level, if you look at like the approximate value, which is uh, a metric created by Doug Durin of uh, Pro, Pro Football Reference, it's kind of like one of the few things we have where like people are trying to like uh, trying to lineate like what like war would be for, like over the course of a season, you know, or like give give value to like players based on like their position and like draft stock and stuff like that. On a per player level, it it, it rises, it completely uh, rises per like the, as age elevates. So if you look at like the average approximate value of a player twenty four years older, it's just six point six, and it goes to nine point five at age twenty three, eleven point nine at age twenty two, and it spikes to seventeen point three at age twenty one. You know, those, and it's really just blatantly simple and inherent. It's just, we just kind of ignore it. It's that good players produce early on and therefore leave amateur sports and go into the professional level. And they're doing that more now. So underclassmen are declaring more now so than ever because of that rookie wage scale and implementation of that. I I think last year had the most. It's so obvious, but even at that level, like you take two wide receivers who are like equally productive in college and at your, your flipping coins between who's actually going to be good in the NFL or not. Cause there's so many variables. Oh, did I lose you, oh, did I lose you for a second? I thought I lost you. I spiked for a second. No, no, we're good. <laughs> that's, sometimes that's sometimes good. these connections get weird. That's good. Good podcasting there. It's like, no, but yo, but you're right. And like, I mean, older prospects are just generally guys that, that on, on an even trajectory just haven't produced and they produce when they're, you know, older and more like have a lot more experience than the guys that they are on an amateur level. And I think that if you're looking for like old guys, like success rates, I mean, for like different triggers, it's like you're looking for the guys from the smaller schools that just weren't afforded the path. Uh, to come to the NFL early on, you know, I mean, you think when you look at guys like John Brown and Cooper Cup or like Tony Romo, uh, those were guys the that God, just the God Tony Romo. Yeah, because those were guys that just were in in a school and didn't have like a position to like have light shine on them to go to the NFL earlier. And maybe we're starting to see that shift. I mean, we last year we had a guy Adam Shaheen declare from D two Ashland University uh, early, and like yeah, that's and pretty then, rare. And then start in the NFL. It's pretty rare to, one, have a D2 guy go in the second round, but have an underclassman D2 guy go because, you know, the league told him it was okay. Like, the league said, like, you're going to go in, like, this set area. I mean, that's what made his decision, you know, um, impacted his decision. But, yeah, it's so obvious, you know, player age, but it's, it's hardly incorporated, you know, on the, on the level of, you know, player versus – versus player basis on what the decisions these teams make within the positions and where they, you know, allocate their draft capital, where they spend and uh, how teams draft. I mean, you look at like, like a guy like the, the Ravens are notorious through through, not only through the draft, but through free agency. How many years are we going to watch the Ravens try to rebuild their receiving core through like these, like these washed receivers. You don't think, you don't think the John Brown deal is good. I mean, I think it's fine, but like, this is like, it's not, I mean, don't sign. Here's here's (laughs) NFL teams. If a player has chronic injury problems, just don't pay him. Don't don't play him because there is another guy with John Brown's similar skill level who doesn't have uh what what is it sickle cell? Is that what John Brown has? Yeah. Like I like, and I don't mean this to be insensitive or rude to him in any way, but it's just like football is probably the number one sport where I would say the most important thing is is to have your body at peak physical shape as much as possible for as long as possible in a game. Maybe basketball is close, but even then I I think it's more of like a skill game. But like, I just think being healthy is such a skill in the NFL. Like you just shouldn't sign old guys and you shouldn't sign hurt guys. 
Yeah, that's, I mean, that's good logic and that's just good business. Like we talk about, you know, all these, these procedures to have and trust the process, but we've watched the Ravens not only do this through free agency, try to just, just get old dudes. We saw it with Macklin, we saw it with Mike Wallace, you know, a couple times it's worked like Bolden, Bolden pop for him. They did it with Steve Smith and he kind of rejuvenated himself for a couple years. That's like, this has been like their eternal process. I mean, they took Rashad Perriman the one year and that didn't work out, but I mean, his hairline was old. So, I mean, we can always say that. Um, but they did. Then this year, they doubled down. And they draft Hayden Hurst in the first round. Like this guy's gonna be 25 years old before he takes an NFL snap. Like it's just unreal. And I understand that he played baseball, but it doesn't matter. This guy was—he didn't even do anything when he went back to college. And like, was he was even productive? Like he wasn't even a guy putting up numbers and producing. Um, you know, over these college kids that are 20 years old and 19 years old. You know, how are we supposed to expect this dude to come in the NFL and like? hit the ground running like it's just it's, it's insane that, that teams still don't like apply this type of simple logic I mean maybe in like the sixth or seventh round you're doing making some of these decisions but we were talking about taking the tight end making him the tight end one overall in the class like this is insane to me like how is that how does your process like arrive like just get you to that point the cocoon man that's why <laughs> True. <laughs> I actually it's think, really honest. It all comes I back to the cocoon. The, the biggest thing that people don't realize about football is that there are so many players involved, and it's such a weird game in terms of like probabilities that a lot of it is just total variance. Like, there for fantasy, it's a little bit less because offenses tend to, uh, you know, play the same sort of players and call similar styles of plays. But in terms of who wins or loses games, who wins or loses in the playoffs, who wins or loses the Super Bowl, I mean, it's probably the only league I can think of in American sports where, like, 20 teams are, like, viable championship contenders at the start of the year. Yeah, I think that's why so many people like it. It's what we talked about the, the intro to the show. And, you know, it's one of the great things we talk about the cocoon, but that's what part of the reason what makes us that, you know, kind of deploy ourselves into this area like so good is that the NFL doesn't change. You know, so we, we won't have these teams that go out and do what the Eagles did last year. And we don't have these teams typically like the Patriots that go to attack teams weaknesses and, you know, evolve their weekly game plan around those things. All of the NFL teams just do the same. They do that vice versa. We're going to make this team stop us what we do. And it, like, that's how all the league coaches basically, and that's why it's easier for us from a fantasy sense that, to highlight these players from an offensive level and try to hone in on like some of that, you know, where the variance gets shrunk down. Cause we know what teams are going to do even when it's not working. Right. Which creates an edge in a lot of different ways, but also, I mean, it's definitely something that it's, it's kind of that idea is kind of in the forefront right now because everyone's so mad about the NBA. Like, everyone's so mad about how good the Warriors are. They're mad at the NBA for being the same NBA it's been for the history of the NBA. Yeah. And, and <laughs> I, just, I, I just don't actually, for me personally, I think because, like you, I'm, I'm a gamer. I tend to view things through the lens of, like, probability. And I'm not saying that I'm sharp because I'm not. If you're trying to listen to a sharp guy give takes, you're listening to the wrong podcast. But, like, I tend to view things in terms of, like, well, if the most likely thing happens a considerable amount of time, I'm going to like that thing. I've been playing tennis DFS for, like, this week, and, like, one of the nicest things is, is, like, the outcomes are, like, mega predictable. So a lot of it is about just, like, figuring out um, what those most likely things are. And something I don't like about the NFL is how the most likely outcome can a lot of the times be, like, 
a plurality. So it's like a 34% thing is the most likely thing. For me, that's kind of a brutal thing to make mm-hmm. me with. Yeah, I mean, all the, the correlations we talk about from a fantasy sense too, even the, the hard-hitting correlations, you know, when we talk about just like yearly rollover from like team level um, is like completions. And that's like, you know, basically 40, 43% of this year's NFL team's completions can explain by how many passes they completed last year. Like that's, that's, that's not great. That's not a great correlation like when you think about, you know, actual percentages that go into creating what we can explain for the following season. And even like targets on a per, le- per level basis is a little over 50%. And that's the highest we've got to like roll over. This, just the correlations aren't strong. And that's why I said that we're circling back in the front. That's like what makes it so fun and, and makes it such a game that we want to, you know, to, to hone in on. And it, it's so rewarding when we do experience success in it. It is winning in fantasy football feels better than winning in anything else. I'm I'm very I'm very much a believer in that. And also I just took Jared Cook in my draft because I I just got stuck in the middle of this. So, you know, ah, maybe yeah. I maybe I won't be winning. This this team is this team is pretty brutal. But what are you going to do? And and the best thing about fantasy football too is that the majority of time it is and a lot of analysts won't cop to this, but I mean it's one thing that kind of the, the school of douche installed in us very early on is that like most of the time when we're right, we're right for such the wrong stuff. Like oh, it's unbelievable. Sure. Like I saw, I can remember like one time, like uh, just like I was, I remember just pimping Matt Jones versus the saints so hard. I think it was like in 2015 when like he had lost the starting job and like kind of was like getting it back. And I was like, you know, this is the week. Like, you got to play Matt Jones. He's so cheap in DFS. Like he's so undervalued. Like the saints are horrible. Like he's getting this job back. He's come off like a season high workload and like market share. Like he's going to have all these rushing carries against this team. Uh, that's terrible. And like the, the Redskins will probably score more points because it's the saints. Like it's going to be great. And uh, the Redskins like dusted the saints. They beat him like 48 to 13 or something crazy. Matt Jones got out touched by Alfred Morris, like 20 to 12. And but like Matt Jones had like an eighty yard screen pass for a touchdown. He had like one hundred and thirty receiving yards in the game. Caught yeah, dude, three passes for one hundred and thirty. Yeah, and like, but I touted him. So like, I remember it was like draft taking solids, and like they tweeted out like, "Yeah, you should listen to like Laura Reeves for tweeting this out." And I'm thinking to myself, I'm like, "Man, that was bullshit." But I mean, I played him in all these leagues. So I'm super happy. Like I played a ton of him, and he pops. Like and like whatever. But it was like it was totally for none of the right reasons. But like it was one of my most profitable weeks playing, and it was just you know it was just it was just crazy, man. That's how that's how the NFL is. Like we're very yeah. we're very rarely right for the right reasons. No, no. Like the <laughs> the amount of times that you're gonna get like the coaching and the talent and the matchup, like exactly right. It's 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 just such a low percentage of the time which is wild it's and i actually do think that's why people like it so much is because getting something right in football feels great it just feels amazing to be like yep called it yeah i think that's why like some of that's part of the issue i have such a issue with like the rankings and projections and how it's fantasy football's become like themed around those two things like forever it's like the the linchpin and it's not fantasy pros' fault. I, I get what fantasy pros and their angle and everything, but like so much is centered around like where like dudes rank in fantasy pros. But like it's just the, you. It's like we're talking like if from like a free throw shooting perspective, like everyone's still bad at it. But but it's like the way it's framed is just like it's just such like where everyone chases to be like that right sixty percent of the time. It's it's crazy like the pursuit of that angle. It is, and I mean that's kind of something that 
drifted me away from the seasonal game. Also, the seasonal game is like a lot of work, and I'm I'm like a, an idiot millennial with like a five second brain. So like when D, like DFS for me was like the galaxy brain meme. Like watching football was regular brain. Seasonal fantasy football was like the slightly expanded brain, and then daily fantasy was the galaxy brain. And like I just I find so much more I find so much more reward and joy and like I just get so focused in on DFS and now seasonal for me matters less. I, I have one league that I mega care about, which is my league with all my like high school and college buddies that I've never won that I, I just get like I'm just egregious at it and they give me shit. So, just the most amount you could ever get. Like these guys are drafting quarterbacks in the fourth round still. Like it does not matter. And, you know, four running backs in a row, just whatever. And I, I just get wrecked by them. Like I, I've never, I've made the playoffs, I think three times. Like it's just brutal. <laughs> My only experience has definitely dramatically shifted over the past few years. Cause you know, every, every time I lose a game or anytime it's something like that, it's all, it's instantly thrown in my, thrown in my face based on what I do now. So that's, that adds like a, a great new element to like the home leagues, but I mean, seasonal leagues, there's no doubt, like from a, from an EV stance, they're by far like the most negative way to play, EV, way to play fantasy football. Uh, but it's the, the part, the part of things that draw, like you said, like a lot of people still, the general population of fantasy football is still played under that same bucket umbrella that you just described. Still playing with their friends, still playing with people they know and grew up with. You've got these home league drafts that are events where everyone, people come in from out of town and they're, they live. You to check in with friends. I have one that I do with a buddy that, that lives in Florida. It's the only time I see him every year, basically. And it's a blast catch up. And uh, that's why seasonal league still probably will never, it'll be a while before it's, cert- it's certainly overcome from the gen pop angle of people like kind of moving on to to dfs even as popular as it's grown um but yeah i mean those season, seasonal leagues I, I still play a ton probably more than i should but there's no doubt that it is the the most negative fantasy football experience how how many will you play this year i still do like a dozen um i do see i do a bunch of home leagues still that like i just am not willing to give up i mean i do one with my father-in-law where these guys man i mean they don't even know what i do still at this point i've been it for like a decade like they, you know, it's yeah. amazing. Like ever since I married into the family and like got got like brought into this league, they still don't even know like who I am. It's like these dudes don't like buy magazines; they just like play fantasy football. It's like the worst scoring ever, too. But like you just adjust. Like I, I mean, I'm not someone that really. I used to like when I first started playing fantasy football, I used to be like all up in arms about scoring. Like I'm never gonna play in a league that does this is so dumb. But like you really just you're good at fantasy; you just adjust what the scoring is and you go from there. I had, like, they I had still... the same experience too. Like my, it was like a legit battle to get the guys in my league to do PPR at all. And we settled on half point PPR. That was, that was the furthest they were willing to go. And it's, it's like, and then I just stopped caring. Yeah. I used to do that. Like in my leagues when I was younger and like, you know, black flag, I tried to like, you guys are doing this all wrong. We should do this. And I was like thinking, I was like, wait, this is like where I get the edge. Like, it's cool. I can take advantage of this now. And like this, so this league started like my father-in-law runs this league and it's like, they still, they used to do it out of the newspaper. So all touchdowns are five just for additional purposes. I don't know what adding fives instead of sixes is that much different, but they like all touchdowns are five and there's like bonus scoring for long touchdowns and like all kinds of stuff. But it's just wild, man. And, but none of these, dudes like pay attention they don't even care i'm just like a person in that league and it's just a ton of fun but it's just a, it's been a cash cow over the over the years like the the guy sends like a yearly like update on like running money and i've been in it for a decade i'm like second on the list of like this 30 year league my father-in-law is like 40th 
And like, I just always rub it in his face. But there's just some I won't give up just because those are like difference makers in like your percentages. You know, we talk about I'm going to play like maybe a dozen. I've got 13 dynasty leagues. I'm doing a bunch of these best ball leagues. I'm someone who's just trying to create an edge in painting football. There, like I said, there's no there's no skeleton key. It's it's MacGuffin. But if I can turn my initial eight percent odds into creating an edge where I have like twelve to fifteen percent odds, and I can play in enough leagues where that makes a difference for my investment, then that's that's where it's acceptable to me. It's these people like it's hard for me to play in just like five or six leagues. So I'm going to do that. If I'm going to play, yeah. like if I'm going to do redraft, I'm not just going to do a couple leagues. Like I'm just going to do a bunch because I want to make it worthwhile for my investment. Like uh, you know for for the for the annies. yeah i think i think that makes sense uh let's let's track away from fantasy get back to to some real stuff or try to at least before we do some pop culture but uh so josh hermsmeyer he and i definitely don't agree on bitcoin but he's been really hammering <laughs> he's been hammering this idea that i think goes along with the conversation we were just having which is that coaching actually matters way more than anyone wants to give it credit for, but like play calling and uh, just, you know, kind of what you're asking your players to do and, uh, you know, going forward on fourth down, punting this, like all of that stuff matters way more to winning and losing games than like individual player skill than anyone on TV, uh, you know, in punditry or even really in our community wants to give it credit for. And I actually kind of think he's right. I, I think that the, spectrum of coaching in football is wider than in any other sport that exists in the world and the head coach and the offensive coordinator and the defensive coordinator have more direct impact on the outcome of games than in any other sport and I I now firmly believe that 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 is fact yeah I think it just depends on how you're trying to frame the concept of where coaching matters I think if that's the framework like that's 100% correct and not even recency bias, you know, of, you know, obviously the Eagles and what they did last year with what they did on fourth downs and, you know, trick plays, not caring about running backs, you know, uh, all everything, they, the way they ran their team, you know, having a large dispensable defensive lineman to rotate that are good at rushing the quarterback, all these things that we know inherently matter in football. They did. They did all those things. And that's how you're able to capitalize. And, you know, they, granted, they may not have, they, they were able to cash in, even if they wouldn't have cashed in, I still would but like obviously it's a success and they're going to be set up to be successful under Doug Peterson. If that's the way they continue to build their roster, uh, coach games and, you know, uh, you know, handle the, the way their personnel is on the football field, they're going to be fine. Even if they don't, even if that's the only Super Bowl they win, like having success still, like it's hard to win a Super Bowl. We talked about it. It's um, very hard. Yeah. So, I mean, if they don't win it again, I think it was a success and they'll continue to be a successful franchise because they're still ahead of that curve. I think where it, you get the lines blurred now is where we, you get the fantasy guys involved like us. And then the way you frame the coaching matters from a fantasy sense, if you're going to tell me, uh, Kyle Shanahan's fantasy tight ends have always sucked and don't draft George Kittle because all under that light, like that, there's a lot more context that needs to be applied there. And, you know, I was For someone sure. that came in, I was someone that came in and, you know, was, uh, I did a lot of this offensive coordinator stuff before a lot of these guys, you know, I was someone that like, went under the hood a lot of the stuff and a lot of my early articles had, you know, stuff where I was looking at, you know, because I did a lot of game flow stuff early on. That was, like, stuff I did for Rotobiz and, like, what what coaches and what personnel, like, how they were just deploying targets and things like that and seeing rollover on that. I mean, it's just it's just so hard to have the proper sample size to delegate that information properly. Like, you need a large sample size of 
a coach being successful through like a large disparity and variance of player talent. And that doesn't exist because the only guys that get are awarded a sample size of coaching in the NFL are one attached to player talent and typically player talent at the quarterback position and which opens up the whole other, you know, chicken or egg development of is it coaching or what's the quarterback to begin with for a lot of these guys, Mike McCarthy. Uh, but, you know. I think, uh, I think that's a case for sure where it was the quarterback. But I, I, I think that, uh, that, you know, maybe the, the hashtag secret for quarterbacks right now is not every quarterback is built the same and a lot of quarterbacks can be successful if they're like I mean Jared Goff dude like the arm talent the arm talent was legit and he was not he wasn't great in college but he was pretty good um and he was obviously horrific as a rookie and then he gets a coach that's like smart and does the right things and and you know has all sorts of innovative schemes and all of a sudden the dude looks like Kurt Warner or whatever and I think that that could happen with like Mitch Trubisky, right? Like, yeah, absolutely. I mean, a lot of, a lot of things like you, obviously the Bears and the Titans are the two teams everyone is looking at for these teams that kind of didn't recircle the wagon um, uh, on you know the coaching retreads and just kind of recycle what uh, guys that have been in the league in the cocoon, as Evan would say, where you sure. brought up earlier. Like, it, those are the teams that are actually trying to move forward and try different things, and they and they have exciting personnel too. You know, you look at what. You know, Mr. Risky doesn't no longer has to throw 24% of his passes to Kendall Wright this year. It'd be different if they brought in Matt Nagy and Mark Helfrick and they did the same personnel, but they've now they've got they, they actually did exciting things like personnel wise. The Titans have exciting players, like players we already like and inherently know are talented uh, to go with this team. So when you pair that type of marriage up, it's fine. Like that's when we start to get excited. It's when you do the the inversely, when you have guys that are retreads and you kind of just like, well, they're just going to do the same stuff they did at this place. Like, and you know, it doesn't matter how much we really like that player. They're going to do this and kind of run into that, that wall of, of coaching there. But I mean, like bringing it back full circle, it all just depends on like how you're really trying to frame coaching matter and the application of it, you know, through like a, a, a real football lens and a fantasy lens. Cause I mean, um, there's still it's still a lot harder to do that, you know, to what the actual coach, what kind of actual impact the coach is having. Uh, yeah, I mean, we're not I inside, mean, we're not yeah. inside the room, so that's that's tough. Right, right, and it, it's hard. I think we have examples like we had with Goff last year. Like it's a little more like brought to light, but it's going to be also interesting too, like how the sustainability of a guy like Goff. I think I feel a lot more comfortable in a guy like Doug Peterson and where the Eagles excelled and the way they coach their team then I do feel more a little about the excitement that maybe surrounds people like a Sean McVay gets people. And I would be excited about Sean McVay, especially of, of what he did last year and how he was able to improve golf. But like the, there's still a lot of sustainability questions, I think, with how the Rams, you know, were able to efficiently perform that I think there were questions about how the Eagles are going to be able to do it because the Rams did it on such a hyper aggressive way than the Eagles did last year you know getting so many possessions in opponents field territory that we know isn't going to roll over you know how many short touchdown passes they threw uh you know I always talk about like one of my favorite stats last year is golf through eight touchdowns behind the line of, scr- line of scrimmage last year and you know the next quarterback threw three he had three touchdown passes on passes over 15 yards down the field there's a lot like more like ways where they're going to have to they have to maintain hyper efficiency more than pure coaching. I think the Rams will than the Eagles will. It basically is what I'm saying. I think a lot more of the way the Eagles philosophy is built 
doesn't isn't necessarily reliant on them remaining hyperly efficient, even though they were last year. Like I said, that hyper efficiency led them to the Super Bowl. Like even if they're just like a consistent playoff team, a consistent winning team, like they're that's success still. Whereas um, you know, I think the Rams like still have a lot more. Like we've seen a lot of teams come up like the Rams and do this, you know, whether it be the Cowboys the year before. Yeah, they um, smash one year you on know, some the, like the, really good variants, some good game flow. The Panthers the year before that. Uh you know, it's just it's yeah. So I mean I have a lot more questions just about how, the efficiency of how they did it and you know and that rolling over. Um but yeah, I'm with I'm with you guys. I mean I think it's it's worth seeing the concept. Which, which is what we all want. We want the conversation of the NFL to move forward and these guys like Doug Peterson. Um, and hopefully Frank Reich's going to take some of what he learned from there and like a, a little bit of his stop there and, you know, move that over to the Colts, you know, a team that nobody wants to really invest in, but they've got some pieces that might be good. And if they're able to like, just be like kind of like a, a bad team this year, but like do fun things on offense, like there's guys that could pop at their like ADP for fans. Well, definitely interesting. I mean, T.Y. Hilton's count just a year removed from leading the NFL in receiving yardage. I mean, they got guys like Naheem Hines who – we're like is it an exciting player they've got you know some boring dudes like jack doyle who's like a dad runner like the ghost of eric ebron who how fitting is that eric ebron is like going to take over like what kobe fleener did like is there a more fitting dude to like follow the footsteps of kobe fleener no, than eric no ebron? That's, that's just <laughs> that's perfect like you just put those two guys together two guys who can't hold on to the football to save their lives yeah, so I mean, it's it's just it's just fun. Like, I'm glad that it's just like we had the success of those guys moving the conversation forward, and not just the guys that we had prior, though. Because when the Cowboys had the success, it was basically them doing old school football. You know, yeah, we're gonna run the football a bunch. We've got offensive offensive line. We invested a top five pick into this running back. You know, and it's gonna work. Just watch us. And then it did work. And you know, like I said, there's variance involved. And then last year it didn't work. You know, for for more reasons than there was than just the variance coming away. It's just it's 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 hyper fragile to play the way the Cowboys want to play and like efficiently be good at it. And like a lot of people don't take that into account. And the, you can't and you don't when you don't oh, have a I defense like the Jaguars. It, but when you don't have a defense like the Jaguars, it's even harder to do. You yeah. know. <laughs> so I mean, there's just a lot of uh, a lot of layers here that just still have to be unearthed. I don't think it's as black and white. I think it definitely matters. Like Kermsmeyer says, and I definitely think it's overshot in the fantasy community, um, like some people do. Uh, yeah. I'll say as well. That was really long winded, but whatever. no, that's a good. This is a good transition <laughs> because before we get to pop culture stuff, I want to ask you what is the thing that annoys you most about fantasy Twitter? I know what mine is, but I'm gonna let you go first. I mean, there's a few things that you just learn. I think the number one things you learn is, I, and I'm someone who. If you ever like read how I really got involved into like fantasy, um, I did a thing for the DLF, like how I play and kind of laid it out. Like I was, I was adamant against social media. I still don't have a Facebook to this day. I got no gram, no gram account, uh, no Snapchats, no nothing else. I'm not really someone that like cares. Like I've got enough like stuff in my life. I don't need to tell you what I'm doing. Um, and it's kind of like bled into like to Twitter a little bit. I mean, one, the thing is to remember is like, you just don't have to tweet. Like you don't have to tweet. I think yeah, a lot of people I, I, that's like, like that's like the, a great that's been a great lesson for me. Is not you like, every thought does not have to be tweeted. Yeah, and it doesn't matter. It just doesn't have to be just like a, like an updating thing on what you're doing. You just like you just don't have to tweet. Like a lot of people, I think, just like feel like they have to be out there on Twitter. So like they'll just they'll just tweet something, anything, get something out there. Just you see the ABI, the handle, something, and like. You just don't. You just don't have to. And, like, the extension of that is you don't have to reply. And that's a hard lesson, like, I think we've all learned. Like, I think – It took me a long time. I was, I was king of the Twitter war. It took me a long time. But now it's just if, – if someone annoys me now, it just they just get the mute. 
I just I mean I can't. Well, that's something that bothers me too. When you get into too, I mean, like that'll I'll I'll, I'll bring up point three for that. But like, you just don't have to reply, and that goes into just like you don't have to tweet. Like, there's so much fantasy football saturation, and there's so much variance in fantasy football, and like we talk about this time of the year, and there's so much just arguments over stuff that doesn't matter. Like, how many times were you involved in an argument early on in your Twitter career where you argued over a dude that you had ranked like three spots different than a guy, but you guys argued like it was a hundred spots away. Like, it was like, 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 yeah, it's like, dude, we, we value this guy in the same bucket of players. Like who, who, who really cares? Like, it really doesn't matter. So like, you just don't have to reply hard lesson learned. We've all been down that road before. And like two or about three. So the third thing I would say is like, it's important to understand that like not everyone is for everyone on Twitter. And even though we're all fantasy football analysts and we're all under this umbrella of wanting to further fantasy football and wanting to promote people and wanting this all to succeed and grow because when, as it grows, like, listen, for as long as I've been in fantasy football, fantasy football has continuously been the smallest it's ever been. It's, that's why I've been afforded to, you know, like I said, you know, turn it into a full-time job. It's, it's continuously been the smallest it's ever been. But you have to understand too, that like, even though we're all in the same umbrella, like, it's okay. Like we're all individuals. Like you don't have to like everyone. You don't have to follow everyone. You don't have to, you know, have to follow that. When you don't feel obligated to say like, I have to follow this person because now I'm under this umbrella. Like it's, it's, you know, it, it can get clicky, like high schoolish. Oh, it but gets, you don't. It's, it's mega clicky. It, you have to understand though. It's just not like, it's okay. Like it's okay. If you don't follow you, you shouldn't, if someone doesn't follow you, you shouldn't like hold that against that person or anyone else. Like it's okay. It's, it's completely okay. Like we're all not for each other and it's completely acceptable to not be for each other and understand that. Like, and you know, just kind of, like I said, incorporate that into one and two, like you don't have to mute someone. Just don't follow them. It's okay. Like, it's well, no, okay. no, I'm talking about, I mute, <laughs> I mute people who, who at me, who I don't follow, who follow, me Uh-oh. who just who just want to nag me i'll see i see like the thing about twitter is like uh that that doesn't apply to one or two like i appreciate a good troll you come in if you got oh, some I sharp troll game I sharp troll game is real troll. like if people yeah. troll me about something good like they like they're making fun of me in a way that's like funny and intelligent i will like i'll probably retweet you like i will like i've never turned away from that but if you're just like you're a loser your podcast sucks. I'm like, it's not funny. It's not original. It's not even good. So yeah, I'm just, I'm not gonna. Yeah. Twitter's essentially gave everyone a voice. Like how many, like you have a group of friends and like when you guys get riff on each other, like there's like a group of friends that like are real sharp and can throw some good banter. We got good wit going back and forth. Sure. Like the jokes are high. We're all laughing at each other. Then you have that one friend that just can't get there. You just can't get to that level of wit. So his first instinct is to like say something like kind of hurtful that he thinks is funny. You know what I mean? Like that's like that dude that immediately goes to like something like shitty that happened to you or something like that. It's like, Oh, like that's not even like his first thing is just to go to like something just like derogatory and mean to like your, like your person that you, that you right, are exactly. instead of like, coming up with something crafty that's like twitter in a nutshell basically but yeah i mean you don't have to like follow someone because you feel like you have to follow them because they got to see that follow and then you just end up muting that person you you like you fall and you're like i gotta mute this person because now i already follow them like just don't follow them it's cool like it's it's a lot cool like people like it's it's all right man it's cool like it's fine (laughs) we're not for everyone it's important i think you're probably like your early twitter days are probably more test than that because i remember Cause I was associated, you know, like you're, you're my dude, man. And like, Oh yeah. You probably, I have got, no some problem. Negative, you probably got some negative blowback from me just being but like, I have, yeah, I have no problem being associated with you and never have. And like, but people would be like, people would say like, it's like, you know, the, the just the, it's like, you know, is that, that's how he handles himself. It's like, no, that's, 
he's giving takes and he's giving his opinion. Like it might not be like in the form of how you would deliver it, but like just unfollow him. Don't follow him. Like you don't have to, like it's cool. It's true. No one had to follow, <laughs> but they did anyway. <laughs> yeah, man. They came, listen, they came in your mentions more than you did, obviously. Yeah. So before, before we get out of here, I want to, we, we got to get some pop culture takes off. Favorite episode of the Simpsons is what? Yeah, I'm someone that was there for like the the, the, the beginning of the Simpsons, like through the apex, although you know, I obviously trailed off. When's like a lot do you still watch the Simpsons now or no? I have seen every episode of all twenty nine seasons of it or whatever. It's like my favorite show. Oh, that's impressive. It's a great but show. It's, like, it's, but like, yeah, I trailed quite, off. It's quite bad now. Just I need to I need to put it out there. I only watch it now out of duty and boredom but it like i will i'll like watch it on like the treadmill at the gym or whatever but like it's bad yeah i want to say like around like season like maybe like 15 like like mid 2000s where i kind of just trailed off like where just because like one one my sundays were became about football and like yeah you know simpsons always come out after football and all that stuff um but like so like yeah i'm probably more in like the front half of like where like i think of the apex of the show as i think most people do anyways but i would say like some of my obviously there's the, the, the most popular episodes we'll try to like refrain from some of those obviously like because like being a sports fan like homer at bat was like one of my favorite episodes as a kid. Oh. you know seeing all the, homer at bat. All the yep. seeing all the baseball stars in the episode was cool you know uh like where griffey he gets like the growing the potion and stuff uh and then you have the monorail episode, obviously, is, is famous. But I think a couple of my favorite ones are the one I had to look up this episode when you asked this question and thing, because I didn't know what the name of the episode was. It's called In Marge We Trust, because I actually remember it for the B plot more than the A plot. It's like we're basically like people, they just like acknowledge, you know, obviously the Simpsons have like a bunch of like Catholicism overtones, but like we're basically church. The A plot is basically where church is boring and like Reverend Lovejoy is like become like he's become like bored of like being a reverend like Marge takes over and becomes like, uh, you know, she's like helping people out their problems. But the B plot is where like Homer gets like this video or like his, like looks like his face is like, it's the Mr. Sparkles like logo. Yeah. I remember it. He's on the the soapbox from Japan. (laughs) Right. And it's like the B plot's so great. Like it's just discovered that they combined like a, like a light bulb and a fish like combined to like make him. But like, it's, it's such a good B plot. It's just so hilarious that I, I really like that one. I like Bart sells a soul a lot too. And then um, Bart after dark, the one where people use the the meat, the gift. It's like one of the most famous Simpson gifts. It's, it's not the one where Homer was back in the bush where Grandpa Simpson walks into the burlesque and like and, sees and, Bart and, and walks work, back out and, and walks back out. That's that episode because Bart starts like I think he like breaks a window at like the burlesque at the like her house or something yeah right? and he has, to, and and like, he has it, to go he has to go do chores to like help he has her to, out. yep he has to do yeah. chores at her house like starts working and like realizes the less of the less place but they do like a big musical number because like that was when like the the first like six or seven episodes of the Simpsons, like every episode either ended in a song or a riot and that one had both it was like a yeah. riot that turned into a song <laughs> that was that one uh episode there but yeah i mean definitely those early episodes uh were where is that though that was the apex of the show for me like season season three is my favorite for sure. Yeah, because remember when it started, they wanted the show to be about Bart. Like all the media, the every the show was centered on being a Bart centric show, and then like it, they immediately like realized it was a Homer show. Yeah, and then like then undercover, like you got a lot of really good like lease episodes and stuff like that. But like once the show shifted away, because remember I remember being a kid and like the the media blitz came and like everyone had you know 
the, the Bart shirts, the Eat My Short shirts and stuff like that. And all See, that I, stuff missed, out there. I missed out on all of that because I, I, I watched them. What it was is they would show an episode at 4 and 4.30 on my local Fox station every day. So, like, after school, I would just watch Come home and catch it. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, but they dumped it quick. Like, they immediately knew. So, the big media blitzkrieg when it started was, like, this is a Bart show. Like, this is the character. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, obviously, you know, Homer just naturally, you know, took, took, it, took, it, took that show over by himself. All right. What is your favorite show of the 2000s? I, I will let you include The Wire if, because I think it started in, what, like, 98, 99? I w- yeah, I mean, The Wire was definitely the go-to uh, there. I mean, I think just when you think of The Wire was later. It was the two th- it was all 2000s, right? I, I don't actually, because The Wire, I was too young. I didn't watch it when it was on TV. I watched it after the fact. I mean, that was my answer. I thought it was all 2000s, though. I mean, but, you know, The uh, Wire is such it. a good show. Yeah. I, mean, it's, I mean, it's so amazing because, like, you know, on, obviously on its, like, face value, it's just, like, a show about urban decay. And, like, those obviously everyone, like, gets immediately woke when shows like that drop. Uh, but this was, like, a pre-woke era. So, like, you know, it wasn't even popular. It, Remember that's, actually, the, that's actually a good take. It was pre-woke. Yeah, it was pre-woke because if people remember The Wire was not, not really popular at the time it was out. Like it was a show right. that's gained a lot of steam now. Um, but at the time, like they were worried like it was going to they were going to dump it like for a few years um, and it wasn't really doing well. Um, but obviously, you know, it was a show like the true theme of the show was about, you know, institutions and the failure of those institutions and like the way they were able to like to cut through the precision, like all those themes through the, and use those institutions to like show the circle back to like that urban decay was like the way, the way it was crafted was so beautiful. I mean, it was, you know, through the evaporation of jobs, you know, the devaluation of labor in season two, uh, all the shaded politics, police work you had, the education system, you know, in season four, then the, like the negligence of mainstream media, you know, in season five, uh, like all the ways that it was able to circle back to that, you know, uh, soul, like, hone in on just what the show is about initially that urban decay like was um really just so great and it was cool it was a it was a police procedural show too but i think uh, i think only one but police on, like, officer fires a shot scale, though but only one police officer fires a shot the whole series of the show and it's like an accidental like like when prez fires the shot like he's the only dude i think that shoots a gun on the show the yeah. entire time the show is on um I also think like I have a great pitch. I think it's great in my head. I want a, a great pitch for like a, a, a sideshow. Like, wouldn't you love to see have like a sideshow centered around when like Stringer in the first seasons are going to like the community college business classes? Like, I would love that. Like, just Any, to have like anything, anything with Stringer, I would sign me up. Like, <laughs> like, but you can't you imagine like this dude that's running this copy shop is like coming in and like all, you've got like all these eighteen year olds and you've got like this thirty five year old dude like coming and taking these business classes. I would love just like to have like a like a like a, a show riffed on that. Like them, it's like damn it, Stringer. Like he's like all focused and paying attention. It's like mad at. Evelyn in the corner. She's not. She doesn't give a shit. She's trying to get this credit that she was forced to take. Like I would just love all that. Like be, like here's a lot of angles we could go from from that and turn it into a sideshow. Or the or just like any of like the Barksdale, <laughs> or like any of the Barksdale stuff. Like you could just like a like a, a a biopic of of Barksdale. Yeah, absolutely, man. Uh, what? How about that? Spin it back and I tell like what was the what was the most underrated show of the two thousands. It's hard for me to say most underrated, but I continue to believe that people have a negative lens of loss because they didn't like how it ended and they forgot how great it was when it was on. 
Yeah, you. I remember you've always been a big uh, a lost guy. This I is mean, like or, this is like my pop culture take is that people got so mad about how the last probably eight episodes of that show went that they just completely bailed on how like you you're utterly lying to yourself if you watch the first three seasons of that show and we're not just beyond captivated and into it. I mean, that's, uh, that's how, uh, one of the writers, Dane Lindoff is like, that's kind of been his MO. Like what has gotten him in trouble though is like, uh, he's always written things and strung things out to a point where like, you're like super into him. And then like when, by the time you get to the payoff, you almost don't care anymore. That's like how he's done a lot of his movies. And uh, like that, since he's gone from Lost and has done a lot more movies, you know, you think, uh, he's, he's brought like Prometheus and like world war Z these movies that are like, this good, might be, this might be leftovers. Thing. This might be a thing for me, but like, I love Prometheus. Like I might, I might be more like psychologically attuned to things that don't pay off a hundred percent than a lot of people. You, so you're just like a little, off, a little off guy, man. I mean, that might be the thing. Cause like the leftovers, like season one is really like that. It's really slow. It's really interesting. Like these ideas are good. Um, and it gets, you know, Leftovers obviously gets really a lot much better, but like, you know, that Lindelof's kind of, he writes this real slow paced style that almost by the time you get there and, uh, you know, a show that's kind of similar to like that now, not as convoluted. Maybe I think people, um, I didn't think Lost was, it, it was, wasn't as convoluted as people think it was, but like Westworld's kind of like that now where like they're promising these payoffs, but by the time you get to the payoffs, you're just like so worked over by like, I, the, I don't, the journey. I don't like Westworld that much on i i thought the first season i thought spoiler alert here have you watched it uh yeah yeah i okay I, I haven't watched the finale of season two yet but like because i'm to that point now where like i said uh i'm i'm, I'm like past the point of like where i kind of care about the payoff okay so if you've never seen westworld <laughs> and, and you don't care whatever but we're going to talk about plot points so i haven't watched a lot of season two yet either but i will say the reveal at the end of season one that the man in black is William is yeah. That's like one of that's probably one of the ten best moments in television that I can even ever remember. But were you even shocked at that point? Like to me, the reveal was like four episodes, like hand over fist. Like we all knew that that was the reveal coming, and like it just took so long to get there. So I didn't. I didn't <laughs> watch. I didn't read any Westworld content. I came to it way after. So I. I was not prepared for that reveal. Oh, cool. Yeah, I mean, I can see where, like, if, if you were, like, sunk in, and not to be, like, an elitist about that, I don't want to say, like, no, I, I, just, I told I just, you so. Like, you know, I, it was one of those things where, to me, it was, like, obvious for a while. And I was like, just get us there, get us there, get us there, and it just wouldn't deliver. It wouldn't deliver. And then you get the reveal, and I get lost in the, it just lost in the steam of the reveal. Because yeah. like I said, the way it was written, it's, it's so slow-paced and so... Uh, you know, almost gets, you know, it's almost starts to meander. I think that's just his writing style though. Um, and how, how it gets, I mean, I think it, like he, you look at all the stuff too. I mean, Tomorrowland's another movie too. Like that's another movie that he wrote and it's like the ideas are there for that to be good. It just doesn't deliver. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. Any other, <laughs> any other pop culture takes? Are we there? Well, um, yeah, well, I, listen, man, I wanted it. We wanted to get one, one take in, you know, cause we wanted to talk about the Zach Morris thing. Yeah. Yeah. ABI. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, it's funny now because it's come to light, you know, that there's like that Zach Morris is trash thing now. And, you know, I, I, I've had to defend myself to like Twitter people now, like, because, uh, you know, the, the Zach Morris is trash brand has grown and he's got this thing. But I think that a lot of people don't really remember, like, how, like, unbelievably awful, like, 90s TV was. And, like, we, we were kind of talking about this, you and I, and, like, how you were just a little later. So, like, 
90s TV was probably like one of the worst areas of TV. I mean, it was really every 90s like lead character was written through like just this misogynistic episode. Oh, yeah. Like it was, that's just what those guys were. I mean, obviously, so it's like easily go back. I, I feel bad because, you know, I'm not trying to defend the, the Zach Morris AVI. I'll get to why I chose it in a second. Um, because I promise you that if this is just the beginning, your, your next favorite character is going to get this same treatment. Oh, 100%. <laughs> uh, literally. Um, because we were in a decade where, like, the big shows, you think it's like a big shows like Baywatch, Married with Children, or big sitcoms, you know, obviously Home Improvement. I mean, all your shows did this. Even shows that necessarily weren't. I mean, Elaine had to show her breasts on an episode of Seinfeld for, like, a potential, like, boss for George. I mean, Phoebe on Friends of the show her breasts, like, win a football game. There's, like, all these characters written as douchebags. Wait till wait till someone does uh you know uncovers a thing on Will Smith on Fresh Prince. You, no, you, I, I, you, that that was the first thought I had. I was like, all my memories of Fresh Prince are so pure, and dude. I like just it's gonna it's gonna it's wrecked. It's over. Like they're someone's gonna get into it and be like, man, he was such a dick. Dude, Will, if you yeah, wait wait till this. Ha- Will Smith was like essentially like Urban Zach Morris, dude. Just yeah. wait, it's coming. Like it's it's coming, man. And he was even way worse uh, th- to women, you know, on that show. When you go back to it, that though, it was just a terrible, truly terrible time, you know, the, for lead male arts to be written. And you know, it's a, you, we were unfortunately a, a, that was the part of the being a youth of that era. Like all those characters are written that way. I mean, the the reason I chose like the, the Zach Morris, and, like that's a show that doesn't hold up. If you ever, I remember when. Save by the came on Netflix. I wanted to show it to my kids. I was like, "Holy shit, this show is awful now!" Like, damn, how do we ever like this show? It's so just not just even the way it's written. It's just a it's just a bad TV show. But I remember like that and like that photo of Zach Morris and like that just like sums up like uh, from like my fantasy football stance. It's like just being unflappable and like having an answer. Like I'll I'll figure this out, and that's kind of how I treated it, and just kind of like stuck. You know, kind of like the I didn't even know that there was a, a story behind it. So that's great. Yeah, yeah. I mean, because he was that guy in that picture. He just had that look at his face. He said he just kind of, you know, was just unflappable no matter, like, what kind of, like, awful thing happened. And that's kind of the mind approach you have to have in fantasy football because, like, some awful – you're going to fall on a lot of landmines in fantasy football. But fantasy football is a game of adjustments. We talk about uh, the summer and how we handle winning your draft and how, like, really non-important it is. There's a level of importance. I'm not saying it doesn't matter. Like, there's – fantasy football has always been a game of counterpunching. It always is because your rankings, your ADP is always going to be a a direct – direct reflection of what just happened and not what is going to happen. That's just how fantasy football has always been played. It's circular, chases its own tail, um, but it's a game of, that's about counterpunching, and that's kind of how like that was. I mean, now going back in hindsight, and we can uncover some of the ways Zach Morris got through some of these decisions, you know, and some of the, the schemes he came up with to get through, and like we, it comes to light that he was kind of an awful person and kind of a douchebag. <laughs> but, you know, he, he was a way it was like, I guess, you know what, screw it, man. Like this – I can either, you know, stick my head down and it's going to be completely screwed for me or, or I can get out of this. You know, I can, I can make this happen. That's how you got to play fantasy football, man. It's a game of adjustments. You know, you talk about having David Johnson last year. I mean, I had David Johnson in some leagues too. I had him probably in five or six redraft leagues. I think I made the playoffs in all of them but one because, um, you know, you come back and you, you find ways to find an edge. You, it's the way fantasy football is played. There's still 13, 12 other mini seasons you had outside of the David Johnson injury that you had a chance to calibrate your roster and get in the playoffs. Yeah, but I'm no, I'm, I'm, no, no, I'm, no, I'm no Roto-Reebs, man. 
No, no, but this is the thing we always talk about. I've, I remember, listen, I was long in your ear of texting you and it's like, hey, man, why are you even playing redraft? Because you're that dude that's into it for like three or four weeks and like you just have too much other stuff going well, on. My, my, <laughs> my thing now is like I just, I just limit the leagues. Best ball is good for me because like obviously I don't have to mess right. up every week. Perfect now, format and, for you. And now I'll just do three or four redraft leagues. And like I don't mean this to be um, – there's probably like a really perfect Jewish word for this that I could come up. I don't, I don't mean to be flippant, but like I will probably get more down on one Sunday in NFL DFS than all of my redraft entry. Correct. Find. And I, so I don't, I don't, like I don't go into entering any redraft league thinking, well, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna not care about this. It's just kind of, a, <laughs> it's a consequence of the choices I make over the course of. This. It's a man- manifestation. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's... I, don't, I don't mean to be a dick. It just ends up happening. <laughs> Baby, man, skateboard lost a wheel. Skateboard lost a wheel. That's a, that's a great way. That's a great way for us to end here, man. That was, uh, that was a fantastic show. Uh, pimp out. Pimp out the worksheet and everything that you need to do. Yeah, I mean, the worksheet, uh, the series has started underway for the summer series I do every year at Roto World. That's kind of moving downhill. The draft guide's going to drop in a few weeks. I think the online draft guide starts today is going to be available. And if you're going to grab one, um, I know it's cool to, like, grab magazines, I guess. Or it's not cool. I don't even know anymore. But the online ones you want to get because the actual projections and all the information gets updated throughout that on the online draft guide. I do all the projections, the tiers, the, the individual profiles that associate with the rankings there for players. Uh, so, like, the Aaron Jones news, all these suspensions just dropped on, you know, the July 3rd. All that's already accounted for uh, in the projections over there on the online guide. But if you got that print guide, none of that stuff gets updated throughout the summer. Someone's going to tear the ACL here in about three weeks uh, when these things get underway. Uh, I won't put, pinpoint any player and put that juju on them, but it's going to happen. Um, that, that stuff gets updated, They're constantly churning. Like you said, it's a game of counterpunching. You know, uh, these game, it's, it's not a game you can have a long, hard-out plan in because these seasonal numbers, one, don't mean a lot of things in context when you're looking at just in bulk of what's happened and transpired and these projections in bulk don't mean what you think they're going to mean as well. Basically, all these players are going to be relevant for a certain pocket of the season that we all hate or don't like. It's just whether you're in that right pocket or not. There we go. Follow the man. Find the man's content. Find out what to do when Jamal Williams tears his ACL. There we go. I'll put the I'll put the I don't care. Jamal Williams is the most anti-Davis player I could ever come to think about. No, I'm not in. I'm not, I'm I'm zero percent in on Jamal Williams. I'm team I'm team I'm team Timont, which I never thought I would say because for a short time he was uh, responsible for keeping Jeff Janis on the bench. All right. Uh, Everyone, rating, review on the show, giving away a membership to the Fantasy National Golf Club. If you go to my Twitter, it is the pinned tweet, but for real, just leave a rating and review on the show. If you do it, uh, I'll be nice to you. Uh, If you do it and and I've muted you on Twitter... Maybe I'll unmute you. Maybe I'll do. Maybe I'll do something kind for you. But uh, that's gonna do it for us today. 